Although we both identify as Roman Catholic, our aim is not to convert or convince. We have no official affiliation with any religious body and present here only our own interpretations and opinions of these stories. We understand and expect that some listeners may not have spiritual belief in certain aspects of these events, but we hope you find value in them as historical narratives which are inextricably tied to the times, places, cultures, and spiritual beliefs of the people who lived and retold them. Due to age and variable documentation practices, we cannot guarantee the historical accuracy of these stories. and welcome to A Martyr and a Monk. That's Victoria. And that's Christina. Today we are going to do a saint that I have looked at a whole bunch of times but have always decided was maybe too complicated and gave up on. Uh, but I did it today. So today we are going to talk about Saint Kateri Tekakwitha. That's a name. It is a name. Uh, so, uh, Kateri Tekakwitha was born just Tekakwitha in 1656. Uh, in a village called Esernenon, which is now is in what is now northeastern New York State. Okay, this is not at all where I thought this first was going to be from. <laughs> no. I was like, my first, my first instinct was like, my first instinct was, I think Africa, and yes. then I was like, eh, maybe like northern Africa, like almost Middle Eastern, and that the, okay, no, she <laughs> is a Mohawk. All right. Um, so Tekakwitha is her like real birth name. Okay. Uh, so that's what we're going to call her for this whole story. Uh, and it means in Mohawk, it means she who bumps into things. Oh, no. Which is an amazing name. It is. For a baby. <laughs> it is. <laughs> Goodness. self I don't know. Name. I don't know anything about Mohawk naming practices because I yeah. know some Native Americans name the kid when they're older so that they can have like an appropriate name. Right. You know, yeah. so maybe this is one of those. Yeah, <laughs> and this kid's real, real klutzy. But um, yeah, that's what her name means, Tekakwitha. Okay, question is: yes. this tribe? I assume Mohawk is the English name for that's not what they call themselves. I think it is what they call themselves. Okay, except you know, with an accent, like pronounced well, properly, right? But, like, okay. Mohawk is not an English word. No, I know. I know. But, you know. Mohawk is just the transliteration of what these people seems like right. they're saying. Seems like they're saying. Okay. Yeah. Probably okay. goes through French Because I know things too. like, like, some some groups, like, people will lump, like, the Sioux or the Iroquois together. And it's, like, yes. those were actually so the, multiple smaller, like, yes. different okay. groups. <laughs> so, yeah. she is Mohawk. Okay. Mohawk is one of the groups that's part of the Iroquois Confederacy. Okay. So they are also Iroquois, like Mohawk is a subdivision of Iroquois. Okay. And then Iroquois is a subdivision of Algonquin. Okay. Which is kind of just like the big, it's like a really big like sociocultural group, group yeah, yeah, on the yeah, East yeah. Coast. So they're Algonquin on the top and then Iroquois in the middle and then Mohawk is like their lowest subdivision. Okay. 
Gotcha. Yes. So she was born in a village called Osernenon in Mohawk. Um, Uh This village does not exist anymore. Like, it didn't become its own town or anything. Yeah. Uh, It's near what is now Orysville, New York. Um, But the village itself is, you know, it's gone. There's nothing there. There's an archaeological site. 1656. This is not good news. No, it's not great. Um, No, we're like upstate New York, right? Like, kind of up by... The near Canada. And stuff. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, so her parents are a guy called Kenaronqua, mm-hmm. I hope. <laughs> uh, and he is a chief in their Mohawk, among their Mohawk village. Okay. And her mom is a lady called Kahenta. Uh, mm-hmm. Her mom is Algonquin. So like I said, Mohawks are Algonquin, like they're a, right. like a yeah. da- subdivision. Um, but the Algonquin kind of start near montreal like that is like the core algonquin point okay gotcha and then the further you get away from there the more like subdivisions you get you know because they start to drift so the people who are still near montreal we would still just call them algonquin like we don't give them a subdivision of a sub they're they're just algonquin it's like it's like the like later when they decided to do like when we were trying to figure out like sociocultural like groupings of Mm -hmm. the indigenous peoples of the americas it's like there was already there was a group called Algonquin, and then they're just like, well, we're just going to make the sociocultural like scientific yeah. grouping for these peoples is Algonquin, but that is also just like its own like individual yeah, it's group. It's just the name that they used for like yeah. eastern tribes. But yeah, they um, use Algonquin is the name of the big language family too, which I right. think covers like two thirds of the United States and Canada is Algonquin right. languages. Yeah. So it's like a big group, but there is also like this little group in this little area of Montreal yeah. are Algonquin. Right. Yep. Uh, so her mom is Algonquin, like yeah, properly so Algonquin and her dad just, is Mohawk. Yeah. Just for our listeners, it's just important to note that like it's, these groupings are not what they would have, they wouldn't group themselves into these things. These are like post, like when we're studying sociocultures, like all over the world, these are the names that we've ascribed to these larger cultural trends. So like these groups are kind of similar, just as like the plains groups are kind of similar and like like language groups and such like that. It's just like doing something like um like the Central Asian and I'm sorry, the Central Asian cultural groups and South American. Yeah, they're hard to define in like sharp lines. Right. You get yeah. the people who are like really into this cultural group and then you get people yeah. who are like kind of on the fringe right. and you're like, I don't know where to put you. Yeah, so. and a lot of it ha- comes back to, like, the, the languages, right? It's like, how similar is your language? Then you must mm-hmm. be sort of related culturally, because where did you get your language from? So it's like yeah. the Algonquin language groups, but this is not how these people would have done this. This is just how science, like, groups these now so that we can understand, yes, like, the there evolution is a bit, of these cultures. There is a bit of this is how these people divide themselves, too. Okay. Because apparently the Algonquin in the Montreal area... Uh-huh. Which is like their home base. At some point in the 1400s, there was a like a, a minor revolution. Oh, like internally, a coup. yeah, like a kind of coup thing. And some people, some Algonquin groups, sort of broke away from Maine oh, Algonquin okay. and yeah. moved south into New York and became yeah. the Iroquois groups. Yeah, and then the Iroquois sort of fractured into little right. things below that it's yeah. like they are different and on purpose yeah. right yeah <laughs> so yeah. but that explains like where did you get your language from well yeah you, you used, used to be, to be algonquin people. yeah yeah so you all spoke the same thing and now you move mm-hmm. so now it's a little different and then you moved again yes. and it's a little different again etc all right yes okay Good so uh they are about in this little village in what is now new york 
Uh, they're about 250 miles away from Montreal, so like close-ish, but not like you know, okay. not yeah. like right next door either. Um, but so her Sounds mom, who is Algonquin, yes. uh, w- had been captured as a child. Uh, um, yeah. Well, By- she had she was like grew up mostly with the Algonquins, like with her people, okay. and then had been captured in a raid by the Mohawk, mm-hmm. uh, and then assimilated, which is the thing they used to do, right? They didn't just right. kill their prisoners; they just like use them art- to make their population yep. bigger. Yeah. Yep. So You're she mom <laughs> gets assimilated, uh, and then marries a Mohawk, and you know goes on yep. as a Mohawk. Yep. So that's how she ends. This Algonquin lady ends up with this these people okay. in New York. Um, Not great, but better than being killed. Yes. Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> uh, Kahenta, the mom, the Algonquin, uh, was okay. also baptized because, as you can imagine, there was a much more significant French presence in Montreal yes. than in, right. like, middle of nowhere New York. Right. Uh, so she had been baptized and she had been educated by French missionaries near Montreal. Damn. Um, before being captured by the Mohawk. Huh. Okay. So, yes, yeah. that tells you, like, how old she was when she got captured probably she wasn't like you know four no she yeah like she's probably like 12 a teenager at least yeah, yeah. Huh. Uh, so that's pretty Older interesting than, yeah. that's i also cool. found out that the uh iroquois confederacy was founded they think in about 1450 which i think is yeah. interesting because i feel like i think of the iroquois confederacy as something that turns up after the white people as like a yeah, response a you know to the white people yeah. but apparently it no apparently it predates the white people by you know 100 ish years yeah it's kind of like the uh the Mississippi, yeah. The Mississippi, like it was like there's a huge like collection, like massive villages yeah. that were not always there, but multiple tribes would come together and mm-hmm. you know hang out in the winter or whatever. And the Mississippi, yeah, it's cultures. just like I know that they must they must have had like complicated you know trade and political yeah. organizations and stuff, but just like for some reason the Iroquois Confederacy specifically, I yeah. thought was a response, which would make sense. Which but would make it makes sense, it, but apparently it's not. It's before, yeah. Which is probably yeah. good that they was established before. It seems like it might Problems have come period. from when they break off from the oh, Algonquin. Yeah. Like, they're yeah. kind of like a rebel faction, and they, like, yeah. <laughs> make and their own little confederacy. Yeah, and then yeah. they're like, hey, we're our own thing. Like, hey. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's um, like, yeah, we, we're all kind of, like, different groups, but we also all hate them, so... <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So these, uh, this kind of area we're talking about just quickly, it is northern New York, Uh Montreal, greater Montreal kind of area between Lake Ontario and um, up along the St. Lawrence River Mm -hmm. um, and up into the St. Lawrence Bay or whatever it's called in Canada. So like northeastern U.S., eastern Canada, that kind of Great Lakes region. That's what we're talking about. Pretty far north. And yes. Uh, at this right time, along. yeah, yeah. At this time, yeah. it would have been eastern old growth, extremely old growth yep. forest, forests so. and beavers. Yep, forests and you know slightly hilly. Yep, etc. What you kind of think of? Yes, it's very last of the Mohicansy. This yes. is the area where the Mohicans were too. So okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Uh, so this family, Tekakwitha, is the oldest child. They also have uh, one more baby, who's a little brother. Um, okay. Which is fine. Don't know anything about him. Don't know his name or anything. Yeah. Just know that he's younger than her. Um, so this village she live in, Osernenon, is like a very diverse village. It's not just 
like it is a Mohawk village, but they have a lot of people who have been assimilated in this way that mm. like her mom was. Yeah. Um, because like mostly because of the Europeans, honestly, like yeah. European induced warfare and disease and issues is like reducing everyone's population. So, so then you the just groups sort of together. like clump together. Yeah. And yeah. like take other people from other groups to bolster your group back up right. again because you're dying out. And yeah. So it's like a very diverse village anyway. Okay. Uh, and then in 1661 to 1663, when is, uh is five to seven years old, there is a smallpox epidemic. Oh. Um, and it had been like smallpox is around at this point, yeah. right? Because the Europeans have been here for 150 right. years. So it like everyone kind of has smallpox, but there's this one period in this area where it gets really bad. Right. Um, kills a whole bunch of people and it kills both of her parents and her little brother, who is a baby Eesh. at the time. Yikes. Yeah. Yes. Which is why we don't know anything else about him because there is right. nothing else about him. Right. Okay. Uh, Tekakwitha also gets smallpox. She doesn't avoid it completely, but she but does survive, obviously. Okay. Um, she gets severe scarring all over her body, um, including, you know, like scars on her face and stuff, yep. and it damages her eyesight permanently. Oh, gosh. Um, she good. is adopted by a paternal aunt, so one of How her. How old is she when that happens? She's five to seven during the pandemic, um, Ooh, but they don't okay, know yeah. exactly so like, when her parents died. Okay. But yeah, yeah, she's a little she's kid. A kid. Yeah. Yep. She's adopted by a paternal aunt, so one of her dad's br- sisters. Okay. Um, and uh, the dad's sister's husband, so her uncle, yeah. is the chief of another, like not a different tribe because they're all Mohawk, but like you know right. a different clan or whatever. Yeah. Um, and the survivors of this epidemic in Osernenon kind of like abandon Osernenon because it's just you know miserable there, right. and they build up a new village called. Kahwanaga, I think. Uh, just like, it's basically just across the river, like it's not that far away. Yeah, yeah just um, move it ka- a little bit. Uh, yeah, Kahwanaga means at the wild water, which is fun. Okay, yeah. Because they're on, right. uh, yep, they're on a river. Mm-hmm. Um, so, based on, so I think when we hear these stories, especially like with a Western mm-hmm. um context when you hear about like oh she's raised by a relative i think a lot of time we get like a very cinderella evil Mm. stepmother kind of vibe like these people are going to hate her and it's going to be terrible right um and they like don't know that much about her young like how these people treated her because like people didn't write stuff down um but the cultural traditions of the mohawk at this time would suggest that she would have been very well taken care of and like yeah assimilated into her father's family and like she would have been okay yeah and there's, like, no reason to think that that's not what right. happened. Yeah. So I assume she has a good and safe and fine yeah. childhood beyond the right. um, the problems of being in new North America during this right. period. It's very much like that I, that like kind of Cinderella idea is a very modern, like, that idea of not liking some like somebody who's not actually yours but is still related to you mm-hmm. is a very modern development like in most like pretty much every human culture if if like hunter gathering or very early farming like you don't you can't afford to like not like that kid yeah, you, you know? can't just afford to abandon them yeah yeah and that must have happened all the time right like just everyone yeah. was adopting and everybody kind was of not related and, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah so it's like you can't afford your group can't afford that you can't afford that like this is a kid that at least is related to you. Like it's very, it very goes back to like you know primate 
primate social yeah. behavior and stuff. Like, like it, multi-generational families where you're much yeah. closer to your yep. cousins and your aunts and your uncles and things. And your yeah. grandmother and, you know, all that yeah. kind of stuff. So, yeah. It, that idea of is very modern, like, has to do mm-hmm. with marriages and things like that. And it was not, it did not used to be that complicated. People were just yeah. like, yep, we're going to take care of you now. Okay. Yeah. So it's, yes. Yeah, I mean, other yeah. than the North America problems, she seems like she has, like, you know. An okay childhood, yeah. A reasonable, okay. happy childhood. Other than um, going partially blind, but I guess. Yes, that's not ideal. You get used to it if you have Yeah, you get over it. Uh, so <laughs> in this period, obviously, there are col- uh, colonists and traders from Europe floating around, right? Uh, in this area, yes. they are mostly French and Dutch. Uh, so, the French have, like, a decently strong control of Quebec area of Canada, yes. right? Which is why it's so French now. Yes. Um, but they're trying <laughs> so to expand French. into Iroquois territory, so sort of south into south. Yeah. Uh, the United States, what is now the United States, yeah. uh, into New York. So, in 1666, when Tecaquitha is 10, uh, the French attack her village and sort oh, of gosh. the wider Mohawk in the area Yeah. to try to, like gain more land uh, into Iroquois territory and towards the Great Lakes. Right. Uh, they burn a bunch of villages in the area, mm-hmm. including uh, Kahnawaga, which mm-hmm. forces her and her family to flee, you know? Yeah. Um, and they do survive the raids, but then things for the Mohawk, like, like it kind of gets worse. Like, yeah. you know, it right. marks a point of, like, Decline. they lose some of their autonomy. Yeah. Um, because they're basically forced into a, a what is called a peace treat. Quote unquote. Oh, um, the they're basically forced to sign this thing. Um, and one of the um, requirements in the treaty is that Mohawk villages are required to accept Jesuit missionaries. Mm-hmm. Which I guess is not the absolute worst thing, but also not great. Yes. If you do not want them there anyway. Right. Uh, but so the people from Kahnawaga kind of come back. They rebuild their village uh, nearby in a slightly different site, but it's still called Kahnawaga. Yeah. Uh, it's near a town called Fonda in New York now, if anyone mm. lives in that area. It's near Fonda. Mm. Um, so, so because this of this... So this is before... Sorry. Because I know, like, by the time... The English aren't here yet. No. Not in any significant number. No, not... Especially yeah, not, not this far north, yeah. No. But have been, like, Virginia. By the time... Right, yeah. By the time... A little bit further south, right now, yeah. By the time, like the english really get established the french are heavily established in Canada. the great lakes and south of the great yeah. lakes and you know because oh, like mm-hmm. that was one of the things is that by the time the english get established they're already kind of surrounded by the french because the french mm-hmm. then also get no spain gets Florida. spain gets the south and the french are on top of them yeah yeah and then just right on the little edge is is england yeah so this is right before that when France is like getting control of all of that like mm-hmm. northern Great Lakes region going even further west all the way over to yep. like the actual west like the plains mm-hmm. of the west and stuff okay. So this is yep. early this is like early like mid French expansion before yep. English are a big thing. Okay. And yep. I assume and so Spain's like this doing is doing whatever the hell Spain is doing Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so like this is how you end up with the French traders in like Indiana and Illinois. Yep which into like theodore garen into the 1800s yes. it's like still a very french area right. because they were here they were doing yeah. that stuff way know, before the English... 150 years earlier yeah. had already yeah. started working on that yeah yeah okay 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 so because of this uh sort of peace treaty that the mohawk are forced into uh mm-hmm. like i said they have to accept missionaries so a Gross. couple of missionaries turn up in kahnawaga 
they have names. Their names are Jacques Fremin, Jacques Bruyat, and Jean Pierron, maybe? Okay. Uh, they're not super, like, individually, they're not super important. You just need to know there are some missionaries. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so, Tekoitha's uncle is, like I said, he's, like, the chief of this clan. Okay. And he is anti-missionary. He is not jazzed about this, of course. Understandably. Yes. Uh, there's not a whole lot of information about specifically why. Like, is he just anti-colonial which would be totally fair is he yeah. does he have a problem with the religion specifically like did he have a problem with those people specifically yeah like so it's hard to tell like exactly why but it is understandable that he is not jazzed about this it doesn't yeah um, it doesn't really matter why at the end of the yes. day there <laughs> yeah. is uh there is at least some explanation for why he's not jazzed about this because okay. he it seems like he has several children don't know okay. how many uh, who are tekakwitha's cousins but basically raises right. her siblings yeah and the eldest daughter, his eldest daughter, had, at this point, has already left to join a mission school near mm. Montreal, like, voluntarily. Like, she was like, I'm going to go convert. Okay. And she left to go to this mission school. So it's possible huh. that he himself is not, like, this might just be a personal, like, they stole Bitter, my child yeah. away and less right. about anything else. It's hard to know yeah. exactly what his deal is. Right. But he's probably smart to think that this is bad. Bad. Yeah. Yep. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, so that peace treaty and that initial attack by the French is in 1666. They get their okay. missionaries by 1667. Uh, and then in 1669, when Tekakwitha is 13, a Mohican army attacks. So they're a Mohawk, mm-hmm. separate group, Mohicans attack Kahnawaga uh, and hold it under siege for several days. I'm not totally sure why they attack. Like, I don't know. There's a particular reason they just do. Right. Uh, Kahnawaga is under siege for a couple of days. Uh, Tekakwitha and the other, like, kids, you know, young girls, yeah. help with uh, medical services and burying mm-hmm. the dead and, like, providing food and water to the soldiers and stuff. You know, like, normal yeah. kid under siege kind of stuff. Right. Um, which the missionaries also help with. Okay. Well, at least they... So she's, come. like... <laughs> yes. So she's <laughs> kind of hanging out with the missionaries. Uh, okay. But also all the kids probably would have been, like, mm-hmm. not her specifically, you know? They're not, like, um, the, on the front line. Like, they're get, doing little yeah, they're just background like, tasks. Yeah, yeah. background Trying tasks. Trying to not get killed. Yep. <laughs> uh, so the Mohawk eventually win um, oh, in right. Kahnawaga because okay. some other Mohawks from other villages arrived Come to, like, in. reinforce them. Huh. Nice. Uh, so that's good. Uh, yes. Except when the Mohicans are retreating, the Mohawks yeah. chase them down, kill a bunch of them, and take some people captive. The Mohicans probably aren't jazzed about, even though the Mohicans are probably who started this. <laughs> the Mohicans did start it. Uh, yeah. Well, so. <laughs> we don't know exactly why they started yeah, it, so maybe true. they didn't technically start it, but, you know, yes. they're the first ones uh, to attack, so it's kind of yes. like, well. <laughs> so the Mohawks capture several Mohicans, including women, which is interesting. Uh, uh, it's interesting that, that they are with them. Yeah, it implies that yeah. they must have set up a significant camp nearby. Right. Um, but so they capture like 15-ish people. And uh, torture them over several days, sort of publicly, mm-hmm. um, with the plan to execute them, obviously. Which is interesting. interesting, because they've had this they whole thing usually, about, like, assimilate. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know what the deal is with these particular people. Yeah. Um, the missionaries, uh, as you might imagine, are not super jazzed about the public torture. Um, and Which they is try- so rich, because... <laughs> I know. <laughs> like, if you go back to Europe, that was, like... All of the Christians' deal was public torture. Like I know, it's I know, like uh, crucifixion. <laughs> like let's think about that for a second. What yeah. is crucifixion? Witch trials, 
Public torture. Yeah. Burning people out of stake. I mean, public torture. Yeah, Drawing and quartering. The... <laughs> public torture. <laughs> like, okay. The, the Salem witch trials are not that far from here, and they happen in like 20 years from this. I know. And that's English. Those are English people. These are French yeah. guys. Obviously, they're French missionaries. Right. Uh, but so, the, okay, the French. Yeah, I know. How, uh, well, Guillotines, I guess maybe, anyone? I know, uh, like a hundred. I guess a hundred years from now, but because seventeen hundreds, yeah. but well, like yeah, yeah, late seventeen yeah. hundreds. Anyway, uh, guillotines. It's just yes. Okay. Uh, so the missionaries. <laughs> but when are not somebody else about does this. it, oh no. Yeah, the missionaries okay. aren't jazzed about this. Um, of course not. Which, like, to be fair to the missionaries, like they are not. This is how they are supposed to act. Right. right. They are supposed to not be jazzed about it. So he is doing right. what he is supposed to be doing, which is good. Sometimes it's they don't just do kind of ironic. Well, yes, yeah. that's true. Okay. Uh, so the priest, specifically, um, f- the missionary named Piron, is trying to get them to stop torturing these people. Um, mm-hmm. But they won't. Like, they don't listen to him. Well, yeah, but he because... is able to baptize the captives before they died. Hmm. Okay. There is no information about whether or not the captives actually wanted that. I was gonna say or <laughs> what, but like maybe they did. You know how? To, who knows? Yeah, who knows? Um, so like these missionaries are clearly like around and doing things. They're not just like shunted into the background of this village, yes. right? But so, they aren't. They aren't necessarily like they're not running things. But they're, they're also not, not. Yeah, yeah. Dumped. It's in kind of like it's ignored. kind of like they're like yeah. You could do whatever you want as long as you don't like bother us. So like oh yeah, you're giving us medical aid. That's fine. You know whatever. Mm-hmm. Um. But also, if you try and, like, make a step, we're going to be like, no. <laughs> yeah. like, so they're kind of, like, there, and it's like, you can be here as long as you aren't super obnoxious. <laughs> yeah, so it's reasonable to think that she would have interacted with them and, like, yeah, heard them speak sure. and heard them um, preach and stuff. Do you think they spoke? I think they do speak Mohawk, okay. these guys. I, I don't know like if how must. well they speak Mohawk, but I think well, they yeah. do at least kind of speak Mohawk, yeah. I don't think she learns French. I think they learned Mohawk. Right. I think they, yeah. Because I think yeah. that's mostly what the missionaries did. Because otherwise it's like. Yeah, it's just too hard. Like, it's so much easier for you to learn Mohawk than for yeah. these 8,000 people to learn French. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So, okay. uh, that is in uh, the summer of 1669 when she's about 13. And then in the fall of 1669, so just a couple of months later, they have this fun thing that I have never heard of called the oh. Feast of the Dead. Okay, I'm assuming not. It's not like the South Spanish American. Feast. No, it's not like that. Oh, I mean, okay. it's it's not unlike that. Oh, well, yeah, it's not the same. It's still, as that. it's still a feast <laughs> of the dead. <laughs> yes. So I had to okay. look this up. All so, right. disclaimer before we start this. So, like I said, these people are Mohawk, which is a subdivision of Iroquois, which is a subdivision of Algonquin. Okay. Right. Yes. So they are having the Iroquois feast of the dead. Okay. There are other subdivisions of Algonquin that also. Okay. Have feasts of the dead, and they're all like pretty similar. Yeah. But I just want to like quickly acknowledge that this is specifically the Iroquois Mohawk one, and like the other ones might be a little different. Hopefully, like, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Okay. So it is very hard to find information about specifically this one, and not just right. like other Everybody, ones or generally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I like I got like the basics, but just know that there is probably more complicated and specific than uh-huh. this. But this is what I could find that okay. is like definitely these people and not one of the other little. Okay. Little girls. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> so, this feast uh, is like you know it's a very very old feast, very traditional for this group of people. And yeah. basically, um, originally, because these people are semi nomadic, right? So they will build mm-hmm. a village and live there for they think about ten to fifteen years on average, and then move when the resources oh, really? start to deplete. Yeah. Okay. Um, so in someone's lifetime, you might move like yeah. five or six times. Huh. 
Okay. Um, but when they did that, apparently, because they have this strong connection to like their ancestors and their dead, that they would like bring the dead with them. Like they wouldn't mm. leave the cemeteries behind, which is nice. That I is think. nice. Uh, so every tenish years, you have to like dig up all these people and like move them, right? Which did is they actually? Big... Was that the was that the practice to bury people? Yes, it was. Okay. Um, so gotcha. that's like kind of where this tradition starts. Is like every okay. tenish years, your village has to dig up all these people and like find them and assemble yeah. them and like move them, which is a big effort. Yeah, so you might as well uh, have a since, celebration. At the same yes, time. <laughs> and since you're doing this, and at the same time, not only are you moving your dead, but you have to like move your houses and rebuild and like right. all this. Yeah, like, it's a lot of work. Yeah, yeah. And so since you're doing all this work, other neighboring villages who weren't moving at the same time as you would like come help. Oh, okay. You know, nice. like an Amish uh, yeah, barn building, barn you know, all your neighbors come and help you do this thing. Um, you do it so in like be- a day and a half. <laughs> yeah. So then so this becomes like a feast of like all these people yeah. are coming in from your neighboring villages to help you move your dead. Um, and so what they would do is they would, I guess when people died initially, they were buried in individual graves like we most people are today. Yes. Um, and then when they had the Feast of the Dead, you know, some number of years after Okay. They had died. They would exhume all the people who had died since the last feast and uh, rebury them in like a common ossuary, a bone okay. bone grave. Okay. Uh, and this was believed to help like sort of – it was like the final step on your journey to the afterlife was when okay. you had been like Move. reinterred in your final – Okay. Bearing place. So uh, when they moved again, would they move those ossuaries or leave them? I think no. I think they only okay. do it once. They only do okay. it the first time. And then I yep. think the vibe is like after that, you're in like a common grave with your family. Like you've returned to your to the earth and stuff like that. You're, yes. Yeah. And like you're now with your family. Like you've all uh-huh. been buried in one grave and you're like right. together and, that's, and you're done now. Right. And, like, you finally move to, like, the last step of their yeah. afterlife and, like, they're free or whatever. Yeah, and you can think of it as, like, in the human lifetimes, likely at the time, you know, after two move after one move, it's been 30 years, right, theoretically-ish, mm-hmm. 20 to 30 years, and you might have most of, like, your siblings, definitely your parents. Yeah, all the people uh, of, like, your close generation your closest, would likely yeah. be Not your grandchildren, near-ish. because, you yeah. know they're gonna be living already still Mm -hmm. but like all of your immediate family is probably died so Mm -hmm. it's it's a good chance that you're gonna be with all of them at that point uh so that's like the original vibe but then as time goes on and the tradition like shifts around um it's less associated with when you're actually moving Moving. villages yeah it's just like on some kind of semi-regular interval they just do this thing and everyone gets together and they you know Okay. It's just good for social bonding. Yeah. Uh, so when the, by the time we get to 1669 and they have this Iroquois feast day, it's not about actually moving villages. It's just, you know, a thing that they yeah. are doing. So this group is doing it about every 10-ish years. And the okay. location of it moves around, like, between the different villages, like the Olympics, you know? Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> so in 1669, it's in Kahnawaga, which is where she is. Nice. Okay. Uh, so they have this big party. Uh, which is, you know, it's a big cultural deal. It's exciting. It's yeah. fun. Everyone's having a great time. Um, yeah. It's a lot of groups coming. Religiously for important for the people, right? Like it's yeah. ritually significant. It's not just a party. Yeah. Um, and the missionaries, as you can imagine, are kind of dicks about it. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and they call it like they're like, oh, you shouldn't be following these old superstitions, and like you need to grow up and advance, and like you know, they're dicks about it. Um, <laughs> when they could have just been like, oh. Like, this feels, is your feast, feels, like, Feast of Souls. What is that called before Halloween? 
All Hallows Eve. All Hallows Eve. And just be like, make that connection and be like, we have one too. And then people would be like, oh, okay. Like you guys also want to you're dead. No, it seems so easy. (laughs) It seems so easy to link this to Christianity. Yeah. Oh my God. Or to be like, like, cause like that's a Christian thing too, especially at the beginning where they, they didn't used to cremate Christians because you thought you needed your body. Yeah. To like rise again, you know? Yeah. And so like this thing of like maintaining the bodies of the ancestors feels like a very easy step, you know? Yeah. It's like, <laughs> but no, the, the missionaries are kind of just not. dicks about it. They could have, there's so many ways that they could just not be dicks about it. I know. I know. Um, so dumb. Okay. Pierron, I think he <sighs> seems like the sort of head missionary in this village. Pierron, yeah. Pierron, uh, who was the one who baptized the prisoners. Okay. And he's like kind of being a dick about it. And he also tells them that if they ever want to like make any inroads with the French, they need to convert, which is probably true, but you don't need to be a dick about it. Yeah, but also, like, uh, why do we yes. need to make inroads with the French at all? Like, I know. I the know. French are the ones causing these problems. Like, know, the French needs to make inroads with us, and you are I know, right? by being a dick about this party that we're excited exactly. about. Exactly, yeah. Um, <laughs> so, oh like I said, there's, like, a lot of, like, all the neighboring villages, like, come together for this big feast, right? So yeah. there's a lot of uh, other, other groups and other chieftains right. and things, like, hanging out. And there's this one guy who is an Oneida leader, and Oneida is another one of the like subdivisions of a subdivision. So they're right. not, not Mohawk, they're Oneida, but like yeah. they're generally related. Um right. he so he's from an Oneida village nearby. He's the chief of that village. His name is Gara Garaconti, I think. Mm. He's actually right. pretty famous in his own right because he has his own Wikipedia page. So if you're interested Ooh. in him, you can look it up. Um and he is like he seems very pro Christianity. Interesting. Um, and it seems like it starts as less pro-Christianity and more pro-friendship and peace with the Europeans. Okay. Yeah. like a fair, fair point. Fair. Um, he acts, he's basically considered like an early ambassador and peacekeeper between the French and the Iroquois. Okay. Um, but as like things, like as time moves on, he seems like he's getting like more and more pro-Christian, like he's more and more interested in the religion. Okay. Um, so around this period is, uh, he gets baptized like just a couple of months after this. Hmm. Um, okay. He's already been hanging out with the French for years and years and years. So he's like right at the point of conversion mm-hmm. when this okay. feast happens. And it seems like between him and the missionaries who think that this feast should stop, they kind of get everyone to agree that they're not going to do this anymore. Gross. Yeah. It's just not, it's not great. No. Especially because it seems like a nice tradition that's not hurting anybody. It's really, it's um, also like just not that different from like no, every other culture in the world that has a Feast it's, of the Dead. Like, come on. It's insane. Right. Anyway. Um, but so between <sighs> this uh, Garakanti guy and the missionaries, they kind of agree that they're not going to do this anymore and that it's kind of like the first turning point of more Mohawks starting to convert to Christianity. Okay. Because um, this is guy when did. they decide to stop doing this mm. feast. Um, and they actually like modern historians and archaeologists and think things think that the last um, uh, the last of these feasts of the dead die out like it dies out in about 1700, which is about Jeez. 20 years from now. So like, yeah, it pretty much just stops. I think some Native American groups have like been working on reclaiming it in like the last 50 yeah. ish years, you know, right. Um, so like some places has started up again, but like it kind of. <laughs> The first round ends. Right. I wonder also if it coincides with like the logistics of this kind of feast, especially when like so many people are dying. 
Yeah, and like and if like, you're always fighting and always moving, everyone's sick. Yeah, and you it's just, just like never, you can't keep doing this. You never have time or the resources to have a party like this. Yeah, which after is this. Which is sad. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if you're still, it is because like they're still doing the thing where they re-enter the bodies. Yeah. Um, in like their final resting place. So if that's like culturally important, it's right. sad that you can't. But also like maintain it. Yeah, and then if if you're constantly fighting, you and you keep fleeing, like you never have time to bury those people. You never mm-hmm. know where they are ever again. You can't go back and get them. You can't. Yeah, I think there's just, also something about it's only people who didn't die a violent death, like it's people who died of like wow. natural causes, are the only wow. people who get reinterred this way, which I could not, <laughs> not find a reason many. for. Yeah, yeah, and so I'd imagine that as like more and more people are dying violent deaths, European yeah. based deaths. This is like yeah, there's fewer people to reinter. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So this is like the very end of this tradition is when yeah. she's growing up. Okay. Um, so that's in 1669. Uh, and then 1671, um, the first Mohawk chief like formally converts to Christianity. So like various, yeah. you know, normal people have done it. Right. But like as a statement, like uh-huh. a chief has done it. Um, he's on a hunting trip near Montreal and he talks to some people while he's there, including one of the people, one of the missionaries who had been at Kahnawaga, mm. um, who had since gone home to Montreal and spoke okay. Mohawk and was like able to talk to this chief Yeah, while he was in Montreal and he converts. And mm. it's like the tide is changing Yeah, around like more and more people are moving towards Christianity at this point. Okay. So uh, Tekakutha is hanging out in Kahnawaga doing kid stuff. Um, as she's growing up, uh, the traditional age for like starting to think about marrying a girl off for the Mohawk is about 13 at this point. Uh Um, and she is like, uh, she's older than 13. She's like 15, 16, 17 at this point. Um, and her, her parents, which are her aunt and uncle are like getting increasingly annoyed that she's not married yet. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Which, yeah, of course. And they're like trying to set her up with the other boys in the village and like trying to like, you know, find her husband and be done with this. Um, Classic, classic occurrence across cultures. (laughs) Yes. Although like, to be fair, you hear a lot of these stories and then the result when the girl refuses that she's like imprisoned or exiled or or killed or like something really bad happens to her. Yeah. Whereas these people, like they don't really... Like, she's kind of, like, socially mocked for being single, right. you know? Yeah. And, like, She's a clearly, spinster. She's, yeah, she's not doing what's socially expected her, but, like, nothing, right. like, they don't ever hurt her. They just, like, right. try for a while and then eventually give up. Okay. And they're just like, well, fine, you'll just be a spinster, I guess that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, like, good. And, like, in yeah. their defense, they probably want her to get married because, like, she's safer with a family and, like, right. a support yeah. system. And, like, they're not trying to be dicks. They're just, like, yeah. it just seems weird to us because she's so young. Yeah. Yes. So, she's getting older. Her family eventually give up when she's around 17-ish. Okay. And she's like, fine. (laughs) Do whatever you want to do. You have to help everybody else, though. (laughs) Yeah, she still has to help. She still has, like, work for the village. She's not going to get married. And they're like, all right, whatever. Whatever. Um, So, in spring of 1674, when she is 18, um, a Jesuit missionary is just, like, floating around in their area. He's not Uh specifically assigned to their village. He's just, like, about. Uh, His name is Jacques de Lamberville. And she is at home. So it's like the middle of the day when he walks into town. Okay. Um, and so everyone else is at work, basically. Yeah. They're out in the fields doing and stuff. hunting and doing whatever. So all the women are out um, gathering. gathering plants. And so she's she's not completely alone, but like there's not that many people left in town. She's right. like the very elderly and babies and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> she is 
in her longhouse because she had injured her foot like oh, a day okay. or two before this. I was like, work. why so is she's just she? like, yeah, so she's just sitting at <laughs> okay. home weaving or whatever. Yeah. Um, and so she's talking to this dude um, and she tells him that she wants to be a Christian. Like she's been thinking okay. about it a lot and this is what okay. she wants to do. And he's okay. like, cool, great. And starts her catechism with her. Okay. Uh, which again, like nobody, it's like her marriage thing. Like her, she faces some social criticism and like people mm-hmm. mock her and yeah. things, but like, there's no violence. They don't yeah. try to exile her. Like, they're just okay. like, what are you doing? <laughs> which I guess Weird. is like, yeah, it's not as bad as it could be. Not great, yeah. but it's not like, you know, right. she's not being attacked or anything. Right. Uh, she is eventually baptized. Um, couple a couple months later on easter of 1676 okay. uh, it was april 18th of that year um she takes the name catherine uh after saint catherine of siena which, okay. who she feels particularly particular affinity to okay. uh, so in english her name is catherine okay or like katerina in french katerine yeah. you know uh-huh. um but when it gets mohawkified it's kateri Okay. So her saint name is Kateri Tekakwitha, which is where this comes from. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So her birth name is Tekakwitha. Her yeah. Christian name is Catherine, which is Kateri. Kateri. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so she stays in Kahnawaga for about six months-ish after her baptism. Um, but like people are kind of like, you know, excluding her and like yeah. thinking she's weird and right. whatever. And she's just like not having a great time socially. Okay. Yeah. And so Lamberville, the guy who uh, baptized her suggests that she moves to Kahnawaki, which is a village South of Montreal, which has been built up as a, um, like a Jesuit mission. Okay. Uh, and it's like in the area, this is where local indigenous converts like meet up and hang out and do stuff. Okay. So she's like, yes, that seems like a good idea. So in okay. 1677, when she is 19, she moves to Kahnawaki. Okay. Um, so from 1677, she's 19. She only lives a couple more years. Uh, and so she lives the rest of her life at Kahnawaki. Okay. So when she is at Kahnawaki... Um, it's just, like, a lot of stuff that I don't know happens in any, like, super particular order. Okay. <laughs> like, stuff that happens at Kahnawaki. So, okay. Kahnawaki, first of all, like I said, it is a village. Okay. It is a Mohawk, mostly Mohawk village. Uh, but like okay. I said, a lot of these villages are very, like, intermixed at this point. Right. Um, and it grew up on its own as a indigenous village before the French arrived. It's not like the French right. built this village. Like, it's yes. its, own, its own Mohawk it village. Yeah. Yes. Um. So it's like, you know, it's got all the stuff. It's traditional. It's got longhouses and wigwams yeah. and all the things. Like, okay. it's a traditional village. Okay. Um, and then eventually, when the French start to gain more power in this area, they sort of, for whatever reason, pick Kahnawaki as, like, their yes. home base kind of thing. Okay. And it's, like, not for any particular reason. It's just, like, a fluke of a lot of different factors that makes this, like, the mission. Yeah, it's like whatever. You know, with a capital yeah. M. <laughs> yep. And so it kind of floats along as, like, a joint indigenous village and French mission. Like, there's, like, they live together, but they're two distinct groups that kind of just don't interact. (laughs) Right. They just, like, ignore each other, even though they're all in one village, which is interesting. Weird. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Uh, But so, Tekakwitha, when she gets there, she moves in with her 
cousin. Because if you remember, her uncle's eldest daughter had gone away to a mission. This is the mission she's at because it's the only one around. Yeah. Uh, So she moves in with her cousin and her cousin's husband in this Uh longhouse. Okay. Um, And also at this mission is a lady named... (sighs) (laughs) Anastasia... Tegan Hatsiango, I think is her second name. Uh, And this lady is a friend of Tekakwitha's mother. So when they say her mother, I do not know if they mean her mom, like her biological mother, or if they mean her aunt. Because a lot of times when they're talking about her aunt, they call her her mother. Like they call this cousin her sister, even though they're cousins, but like they were raised as sisters. So a lot of those sisters just call her her sister. Yeah. So when they say this is a friend of her mother, I don't know if they mean her actual mother or her aunt. Her aunt. Well, like it's possible that she was a friend of her actual mother. Like there's no reason to think that's not true, but I don't know. It's possible she was a friend of both. Yep. Could be. (laughs) Don't know. Um, And so this lady, this Anastasia lady is also the matron of the, like the clan that lives in this longhouse where she lives. Okay. She's like reasonably important lady she yeah. lives with her sister slash cousin so she uh-huh. and she like apparently knew quite a lot of the people who lived in this mission okay they come from like her village or surrounding villages so even okay. if she wasn't like personally friends with them she definitely knew yeah. a lot of people she's kind of like a matriarch she knows what's going yeah. on yep in town okay yep uh and one of the priests at this mission uh wrote in his diary quote all the Iroquois who come here and then become Christians owe their conversion mainly to the zeal of their relatives. Which is interesting. So this yeah. religious conversion is passing through people's families, not families, through... Families, not through Yeah, the it's not through the missionaries doing anything. Yeah. Which makes sense. It's like... Yeah. This person that I know and their experience and how they're perceiving it is more important to me than, like, what the other white guys tell me I should mm-hmm. be thinking. Which makes you sense. Know? Yeah. Yeah. Like, that's the way people actually yeah. convert is because somebody right. they loved did it. Yep. <laughs> and especially since, like, those people are probably like, oh, this is how I'm interpreting it and, like, fitting it to our mm-hmm. traditions they already. They have, like, a shared, a shared yeah. cultural background to base their discussions rather on than, and stuff. Rather than just yeah. being like, oh, this is completely different. We should drop all of our other stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. Uh, so when she is sort of towards the beginning, when she arrived here, she speaks to a priest, um, and he later... Uh, when she gets kind of famous, writes in her diary about having met her, you know, at this sort of early point. And he says later that she said, quote, I have deliberated enough. For a long time, my decision on what I will do has been made. I have consecrated myself entirely to Jesus, son of Mary. I have chosen him for husband, and he alone will take me for wife. Hmm. So she's like, married to Jesus. Good for her. It's a classic thing. It's so weird. Anyway. Yes. Um, so this group, they're not a formal, uh, you know, they're not like a formal convent or order. They're just uh-huh. like a bunch of indigenous people who have right. similar ideas and goals and stuff who hang out together. Okay. Um, and so one of the priests tells the ladies at this mission about formal convents and religious sisterhoods. And okay. the ladies like, that's a great idea. Uh-huh. Like, we, we're going to do something like that. And so they set up their own, like, informal religious sisterhood, which is nice. Yeah. For, like, mutual support and to chat and whatever. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, so that's what they're doing. Um, Tegaquitha is... She has been kind of sickly her whole life since she got smallpox. Makes like, sense. Like, you know, <laughs> she's just a weak... She has a weak constitution. Um, but she also... <laughs> She is one of these people who is, like, 
really into penance by suffering. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Yeah. So (laughs) she would, like, go out of her way to make her life more difficult than it needed to be or than it was for anyone else. Yeah. Uh, So she... Uh, she started doing this thing apparently right when she moves to Kanawaki, where she weaves her sleeping mats out of thorns, like plants with thorns, Gosh. like she doesn't dethorn yeah. them, you know, uh-huh. um, as, so this is an interesting thing because on the one hand, it seems like the priests and other people at this community see this as a Christian penance right. thing, yeah. but also separately, the Mohawk have a tradition at this period about um pricking yourself and drawing small amounts of blood as okay. like an offering to have your prayers answered for yourself or for your ah, loved ones. Yeah. So some people say that she's doing this thing specifically with the thorns where she's drawing small amounts of blood. Yeah. Not because of like a Christian association of suffering and the thorns right. of Jesus. Like not that's not why she's yeah. doing it. She's doing it because to her, culturally, she's trying to pray for forgiveness and like for, fortune yeah. for her family that she left yeah. behind. So uh-huh. which is interesting. Huh. Okay. Uh, Separate from that, she is also not eating enough. um, And when she does eat, she intentionally adds like bad flavored food to her, like bad spices and stuff to her food to make stuff taste gross. Not great. So that whatever she does eat, she doesn't enjoy. Yeah. Um, She also burns herself on purpose, which I think is because burning was a way that they were, it's like one of the methods of indigenous torture, like the way the indigenous people tortured captives. And so she knew about that, and so it seems like that's where she got that from. It's not just, like, a random thing yeah, that she picked up. So she's, like, getting sicker and sicker because she was weak to start with, and she's not well, yeah. eating enough, and she's hurting herself, uh, which is all bad. Yes. Um, so she has, a fr- like, a really close friend in this mission, uh, a girl called Marie-Therese Tegiaquenta, okay. maybe. Uh, and Marie Therese is initially was doing all this penance and suffering stuff with her, but eventually she's like, this is just going Not too good. far. Like this yeah. is, we need help. And she goes to one of the priests in the mission. His name is, uh, Chacatier. He's French. Okay. I know it sounds like an indigenous name, but I'm just bad at French. Chacatier. <laughs> uh, and okay. he comes to talk to Tecaquitha and is like, you need to chill. Yeah. Like, yes, penance is great and can be really valuable, but, like, only in moderation. Right. All things in moderation, you need yeah. to cool it. Yeah. Um, and from then on, this priest, like, makes a point of checking her penances. Her. Like, he has to approve them. She won't do them until he's approved them, and he, like, makes sure huh. that it doesn't get, you know, out of hand. Yeah. Okay. But, uh... So she was weak anyway. Yes. Even though she stops going so hard on the penance, like she's still not eating enough. She was weak anyway. There's disease going around. Things are just generally hard. Yep. Um, So her health continues to decline. Yeah. To the point that everyone in the village is like, yeah, she's going to be dead in the next couple of days. Uh Um, So they like gather around her. They administer her last rites. And Uh she dies on April 17th of 1680 when she is about 23. Jeez. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so April seventeenth of that year was Holy Wednesday, which is the uh-huh. day that uh, the day of the Last Supper. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And they specifically go out of their way to say that she died at three p.m., which is the same time Jesus died. Don't know if that's true. Sounds convenient. 
Yes, it does. Especially on Holy <laughs> Wednesday. But uh-huh. um, she dies in the arms of her friend, the Marie Therese girl, which is nice. Okay. Uh, and her last words recorded are, Jesus, Mary, I love you. Hmm. Yeah. So she's dead now. Very yes. sad. She's 23-ish based on uh-huh. when exactly her birthday was. Yes. Uh, so Father Chuck Chacotier. Chuck Chuck. Kittier, whatever, the French guy. C H A U C H E T I E R E. Chaquetier, I think. Chaquetier? Chaquetier, maybe. Chaquetier, yeah. Huh. So this guy um, writes afterwards in his diary. Uh, this is where they get a lot of information about her life, it's from various missionaries' yes. diaries. Okay. Uh, he writes later, quote, This face, so marked and swarthy, suddenly changed about a quarter of an hour after her death and became in a moment so beautiful and white that I observed it immediately. Which is simultaneously a fun description of a miracle and gross racism. Yes. Yes. So he makes a note to say that she had dark skin beforehand and then was beautiful when it became white, which is unfortunate. Gross. Yes. Um, but I, I think- really hope that it was actually just like that she was like emitting light. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. And not uh, they- that she turned white. Yes. Uh- some other um some other like descriptions are more like you no, know, her sc- smallpox scars just went away. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. Which is nice. Scars went away. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's what he says, which is not great. Thanks. But no. Still. Okay. Uh, Yep. Uh, (laughs) Shortly after her death, she is said to have appeared to three separate people in like the next week or two. Okay. Uh, So first, she appears to Anastasia Tegan Hatsiongo, which is the woman who was a Uh friend of either her mom or her aunt. Yes. um, Who's like this matriarch in this uh, mission. And Anastasia is like sitting around praying and crying because this girl who she considered like a daughter has yeah. died, right? So yeah. she's mourning her. And she looks up and sees Tekakwitha kneeling at the foot of her mattress holding a cross. And the cross isn't on fire, but it's like shining. Like it's oh. the sun. Like it's bright yeah. and light and it fiery, light. but not yeah. yeah, not on fire though. Yeah. Uh, so Anastasia sees her. And then uh, another night, Marie Therese, her friend, is sleeping and she's woken by a knocking sound and a voice asking if she's awake. Um, and then the voice says, I've come to say goodbye. I'm on my way to heaven. That's spooky. It, it is spooky. And Marie <laughs> Therese um, apparently has never seen a horror movie because she gets up and goes outside to see oh, no. what's happening. Um, yeah. She doesn't find anybody. There's nobody right. out there. Uh, but then she hears a voice saying, adieu, adieu, go tell the father that I'm going to heaven. Why would she have said adieu? Well, I mean, this she wouldn't have said it in English in the first place, so it's already well, been translated. True. So I don't know right if they picked adieu in English specifically because, like... That means, like, farewell, maybe? Instead of yeah, goodbye. it's, like, just a weird translation yeah, of okay. some French weird. word or, mo- or Mohawk word, probably more yeah. likely. What she said in Mohawk is being Or it was translated from Mohawk to French and then French to English. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, weird. it is weird that they okay. choose to do. But anyway, it doesn't. I mean, it doesn't really matter. What's <laughs> interesting um, about that one is that, like, because I feel like a lot of times people, yeah, they just like see somebody, like the first lady did, mm-hmm. and nothing happens, or like they see somebody and they say something vaguely like religious that somebody could have mm-hmm. made up. But it's like this is more like she just like was talking to her friend and was like, "Goodbye, yeah. <laughs> see you." Very weird. <laughs> Peace out. <laughs> yeah. Uh. Yep. Uh, Especially then, since she's like, are you awake? Like she would have yeah. done like when she was alive. Yeah. That's very interesting. Okay. Yeah. Um, it seems like these two girls were really tight. 
Right. Like really, yeah, really good friends. Yeah. It's possible that since uh, Tekakwitha, since she never got married and she was an orphan, like yeah. that combo might not like a total social outcast, but it might have been harder for her to make right. real friends right. at home. For so sure. I think it's I think I get a vibe that when she moves to this convent and she like meets this girl, Marie Therese, and they're like, yeah. this is like the first really good friend for, yeah, she's, had, she's yeah. ever had. Okay. Um, which is why like she died in her arms. So right. these girls seem like they're real tight, which is nice. Okay. Um, and then the third appearance, uh, she um, appears to Father Choquetier, who sees her lying on her grave with her face tilted, like, up towards heaven, you know, like, looking, like, happy and towards heaven. Weird. It's creepy. Yeah, it's That's creepy. What, that looks creepy. <laughs> I don't like that one. <laughs> I don't like that one either. Um, okay. So, yes, she has died now. Um, the gravestone that they give her, I don't think they give it to her immediately. I think it is added later. Later. Um, okay. But the gravestone that she has now, which is still a couple hundred years old, um, mm-hmm. has her name. And then it says, the fairest flower that ever bloomed among red men. Eh. Mm, yeah. Also, don't love that. Yep. You could have just so, left it at men. Like the fairest flower. Yep. Like you didn't. Yep. <laughs> I know. Okay. Uh, so she is often called <sighs> the Lily of the Mohawks. Okay. Um, because lilies in Christian and uh, European tradition are often associated with purity and virtue and the Virgin Mary. Yes. And like, she never got married. She's a virgin. That's like right. part of her vibe. So she yeah. gets associated with lilies, often called the Lily of the Mohawks. Um, when they depict her nowadays, like in statues and paintings and stuff she's often like wearing lilies or surrounded by lilies or like yeah just like a pretty common choice for female virgin saints yeah it is what it is lily of the mohawks i think is a nice name it's fun it's interesting yeah okay sorry i was looking up where lilies are native to turns out they're native everywhere um the various (laughs) lilies because i was like because i know that there's native lilies in the america so i was like do Europeans know about lilies? They do, because they're everywhere, apparently. All right, continue. <laughs> yes. Uh, so, um, kind of immediately, like a lot of saints, people in the local area, they are not. They don't go so far as to immediately venerate her as a saint, but right. they are like, she's great and cool, and we should look up to her and like follow yeah. her example. You know? Especially since she's like appearing to people. Yes. Um, so, her Bones and her relics are pretty quickly after her death started to be associate with associated with healings. Ooh, um, fun! Yeah, we and love those. So they kind of like they dig her up not that long. Like I don't know when exactly, but not that long after she's died, and yeah. sort of like distribute her. So like that- bones and bits of her coffin and her clothes and like just dust from her grave kind of like yeah. get spread around as like magical healing. Medicine. I wonder what the I wonder what the tribe thought of that. What the Mohawk think about yeah. that? I suspect that like the Mohawk culturally. were not jazzed about this because they're I supposed think. to put all of her bones together right. with her relatives yeah. like, you know, like they're supposed to do this yeah. thing that they don't get to do. Seems odd. Yeah. Um okay. but I mean, she's buried at um she's in this, the mission. This area. Yeah. So. so these people are following like Christian traditions more than Right. Uh, the tra- traditional traditions yeah uh okay. yeah so there's like kind of a lot of healing stories just for like the next hundred years you know several hundred uh, years till okay. now just Casual. like various you know priests yep. and people and Everybody. sisters and whoever you know, just like random healing stories yeah um but the ones that they actually use for her canonization uh-huh. two specific stories okay 
So the first one is pretty old, actually. Um, there is a little kid named Joseph Kellogg who is captured by um, indigenous people in the 1700s. Okay. So in the next hundred-ish years after she's died. Okay. Um, they don't say – I don't know where he was captured from and therefore do not know what kind of indigenous peoples he is captured uh-huh. by. But like I said, this is like a thing that's happening. Okay. They're assimilating people, right? Okay. So he gets captured. Uh, he is eventually returned to his family for whatever reason um, and then catches smallpox. And the uh, local Jesuits, wherever his family lives, are kind trying to treat him, but they can't because he has smallpox and there's nothing they can do about that. Right. <laughs> Either you get better or you don't. Um, yeah. So they tell his parents that they have some relics from Tekakwitha's grave. Um, which they can try because they have like healed other people in the past, you know. Yeah. Uh, but that they don't want to use them on a non-Catholic, and this kid is Protestant. This family is Protestant. Oh, mm-hmm. what year is this again? Sorry, seventeen hundreds. Okay. Unknown. Okay. Um. So his parents are like, totally fine. Would rather he be Catholic than he be dead. And so they, he converts okay. to Catholicism, and right. the priest gives him a little piece of Tekakwitha's coffin, and he recovers from smallpox. Okay. Fine. I think that is maybe one of, a I coincidence, think, but yeah. Yes. So that is her her first like real miracle, even though there okay. are just like shitloads of old timey stories. That. Yeah. Of yeah. This is the first one that's recorded enough that they use it. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Um. But yeah, there's just like tons of priests yep. and sisters and normal people in the yep. Quebec, Montreal, New York kind of area. It's just like happening a lot. Yeah. To all kinds of people. So cool. that's the first one. Okay. Um. She is put forward for canonization in the 1880s. So after this first one, but before her second one. Yeah. Her second miracle. Um, and she is put forward by some bishops from this sort of area of north northeastern United States, Canada. Okay. Yeah. Um, she is put forward with two other guys named Isaac Jogues and Rene Gopil. Isaac Jogues of uh, Chicago parochial school fame. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And these two guys were also French missionaries who had been yeah. killed by the Mohawk in Osernenon, which is the village okay. she was born in. Okay. Um, but it was a couple of decades before she was born. Okay. Uh, but so these two guys and her were all put forward by these bishops together oh, okay. um, as a group. Um, I think the two missionaries, I think, are Beati. I don't think they make it all the way to sainthood. Okay. Because they don't oh, have miracles, they're just martyrs. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Uh, so she so it's put forward in the 1880s, about 200 years after she died. Okay. Uh, she is made venerated by Pope Pius XII in January of 1943, when he definitely had more important things to do. Um, and then she Ooh, yeah. is <laughs> then she is beatified by John Paul II in 1980. Um, and then her second miracle, she just sits at Beatified, right? Right, yeah. Until she gets her second miracle. So from 1980, she just sits there. 2006 is when her second miracle oh. happens. Okay. So there is a kid. Ones. Yes, there is a kid in Washington State, so the other side of the continent. Other who, side of, okay, yeah. Yes, who <laughs> horribly, Uh-oh. is like my worst nightmare, catches Uh-oh. a flesh-eating bacteria from somewhere. Ah! Gross. I know. This a little yeah <laughs> so gross um and the doctors can't make it stop it. because right. this like they're like really strong bacteria and they're hard to kill yeah. um yeah. and like basically if you get a flesh eating bacteria you're fucked <laughs> yeah for the yeah. best part yeah. yeah so they're like they're no they're doing whatever they can and he's got antibiotics and i think they 
they said he had several surgeries, which makes me think they've been amputating things to try to like stop it. Yeah, yeah, try to stop the infection. Um, but it's not working. Gross. So he's getting sicker and sicker and sicker. Um, and this kid is partially Lumi, which is a indigenous group from like that end of the country. Uh huh. Um, so his parents particularly are praying to Tekakwitha because she's like an indigenous saint, you know? Right. Makes sense. It's like that's their vibe. So they're praying to her specifically, and like their you know their friends and their relatives and like the people from their church are all like praying for this little boy right um and through this like wider network they get in touch with a sister named kateri mitchell okay who i believe is like kateri is her religious name i think it's because of kateri tekakwitha okay um yeah so she has a piece of tekakwitha's bone i don't know where Uh she got it right (laughs) but she has one so they get in touch with the sister who has access to this bone Uh and she brings the bone to the hospital for the kid to hold and they like pray over the kid and the next day his infection stops expanding and then soon after that starts to recede and eventually goes away interesting yes so tekakwitha versus flesh-eating bacteria flesh-eating bacteria horrible yeah but okay. it gets better, I guess. Uh-huh. Uh, too bad they didn't do that earlier because I bet they cut off a bunch of him. Oh, yeah. Um, but- they should have started with Tekakwitha. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. So that's him. He's also probably still alive. I mean, yeah, presumably. If he's like 10-ish in 2006. Yeah. Actually, he's probably about our age. Probably, yeah. Weird. If he was born in the mid-90s. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so that's her second uh, real miracle. So she uh-huh. is... Um, the miracle is approved in December of 2011, and she is sanctified on the 21st of October 2012 by Benedict the 16th. Nice. Um, they do this interesting thing in her, like, canonization mass and, like, on her uh-huh. official Vatican records about how to transliterate Catherine. Oh. So when they speak in Latin, so when they did the mass in Latin, uh-huh. the Pope yeah. said Catherine, or like the Latin version of Catherine, yeah. which okay. sounds more European to us. Right. Um, but when they list it on the official records and stuff, it's Kateri, which is the Mohawk version. So That's if nice. you're trying to look her up, you would look up yeah. Kateri, not Catherine. Yes. Okay. Huh. So. That's nice. Yes. Uh, she is the first uh, Native North American woman to be canonized. Okay. Um, there are some earlier ones who are from men. Central and South America, oh, and there yeah. were some earlier men. Yeah. Um, but she's the first one from North America who's a woman. Okay. I think she might be the she might still be the only one. Not totally sure uh, about that. She's definitely the first. Yeah. She might be the only one still. Okay. Um, she is sort of like generally and popularly considered a consecrated virgin, which is like a real title. Yeah. <laughs> so a consecrated virgin is when somebody takes formal rites of virginity. Yeah. Like, they make a vow, and the vow has to be witnessed by a bishop. So, like, oh. it's a real rite. Okay, yeah. And she never did this. Like, she never took the formal vow because there were no well, bishops around. I was gonna say. Um, <laughs> but, so people, like, and the church, like, normal people and the church kind of, like, like, yeah, she's a consecrated virgin. It's right. not her fault. There wasn't a bishop around. Exactly. But she's not, like, on, like, she's not technically a consecrated virgin. Right. Yeah. She didn't do this thing, but everyone's like, But yeah, she's fine. considered, yeah. Yeah, like, like, people like, would how? still think of her, like, on the lists yeah. of consecrated virgins. They're like, yeah, sure. Okay, yeah. Uh, her feast day is July 14th, um, although in some places, like, I think in Canada and some, like, various um, subgroups in various, like, the United States and other places, they also celebrate her on April 17th, which is the day she died. But, okay. like, technically yeah. it's July 14th. 
okay. for Catholics. I think for Episcopal people and maybe Anglicans, it might be April 17th all the time. For Catholics, okay. it's July 14th. I don't know why they picked July 14th. It doesn't seem to have any importance to her. It might just be the next available day. Yeah, I had no space. Yeah. Don't know. It's also Bastille Day, so maybe they're like, fuck you, France. Um, <laughs> <laughs> don't know. <laughs> Casual. All right. Yep. Uh, okay, so... Like I said, her relics, they kind of, like, dig her up pretty quickly after right. she died, like, relatively yeah. quickly. And yeah. it's, like, 20 to 50 years, and her bits get distributed. Yeah. So there's, like, a sh- there's just, like, a lot of them. Right. There used Everywhere. to be more, and, like, a lot of them got lost and destroyed or whatever. Oh, yeah, sure. Um, but there are still, like, a decent number of them just kind yeah. of spread about. And it's not all bits of her body. They also have, like, bits of her clothing Clothes. in her coffin. Yeah. And just, like, bags of dust, apparently. Which is like, I wonder, it's also, I mean, this is with every relic ever. It's like, (laughs) is it her? Is that actually her? Or is is that actually from this, whatever? Maybe some of them Mm -hmm. are. Be fun to get them tested. See if they're at least like, is the right. I I really don't like it when they're like, yeah, just bags of dust from her grave. And I'm like, don't do that. (laughs) I was like, that's gross. (laughs) Yep, it's gross. Um, But so since she is the first native american female and she's one of the old there's like the, not that many native uh-huh. american saints at all well yeah and she's yeah. the only she's the first woman so she gets a lot of like shrines and churches and schools and stuff named after her yeah um there's like really a lot of them in that part of eastern u.s and canada oh, um, but they also just kind of you know generally generally everywhere everywhere else um so there's major shrines in several cities in new york because that's where she was from she has a shrine in the Basilica of the Immaculate Conception in D.C. Um, there's oh, wow. a couple of major basilicas in Montreal, in the Montreal area, um, uh-huh. that have shrines for her. And then, of course, just like smaller churches and schools, schools just everywhere. Yeah. Um, there's a parish near Schenectady, New York, which is named for her. Like the whole parish and the huh. parish church and things are named nice. for her. Um, there's a little island in the St. Lawrence River, which is the river that runs through Montreal. Um, there's a little island in the river called... Uh, named after her, hmm. which is fun. Um, and then at Notre Dame, they Ooh. have uh, every dorm has its own chapel. Oh. And so one of the newer dorms was built in like 2006-ish, uh-huh. pretty recently. Um, the dorm called Welsh Family Hall, which is a girl's dorm. Their uh-huh. chapel is named after her. Oh. Which I think must mean that they have a really dope stained glass window of her because I think most of the chapels yeah, at the Notre Dame do. dorms have fun stained glass windows. And it'll be a modern one. Uh-huh. It'll be a new so one. So it'll look good. So yeah, that'd be oh. interesting. Um, huh. So that's her. She's like a reasonably oh, popular saint. You said, wait, sorry. Back up. Notre yes. Dame University, not yes. the Notre Dame in France. <laughs> no, not Notre Dame in France. Yeah, Notre Dame, yeah. the United the U.S. The University. The Fighting Irish. Yeah, yeah. Fight, yes. not, yeah sorry. Not Notre Dame. <laughs> I was like, back up. Wait a second. I know what you're yes. talking about, but you just Notre- said Notre Dame. <laughs> Notre Dame Church in France. Notre Dame, Notre Dame University, University of the United States. <laughs> yes. Yeah. All right. Yes. Sorry. Continue. Um, <laughs> I was reading that. that really quick. <laughs> so I went to Notre Dame for yes. those listeners who don't know. And so yes. at Notre Dame, there are two girls. Well, there's like 14 a girls billion. dorms or whatever. But there's yeah. two specifically. There's Walsh with an A and uh-huh. Welsh with an E. Yes. Which was always very confusing to everybody there uh-huh. at the time. Yeah. I lived in Walsh with an A. Yeah. And this chapel is in Welsh, Welsh with an E. No, I know. I did that math in my that 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 
clarification math in my head you were i was like welsh and i was like you lived in walsh and i'm like i think those are different they are different it was yes it was always confusing yeah <laughs> so it's like i feel like i sh- would have heard about this if i yeah, know the chapel in ours was in dedicated one. to the virgin mary um yeah, which is fine not as exciting average <laughs> yeah. but also to be fair walsh is one of the oldest of the buildings on campus so yeah. of course it's dedicated to the virgin right. mary it's the first one um, that's what it's you also do. the first girls dorm i think Oh, so yeah. of course. Yeah. yeah, of course it's the Virgin yep. Mary. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Right. Okay. So uh that's kind of like wrapped up for her. That's like all of her stuff and all of uh-huh. her jam. But I think it is important to talk about how she is perceived by indigenous peoples today. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So Indigenous peoples there's like there was a lot of discussion about her and what this means and like the history and everything about it um specifically when she gets sanctified in 2012 like when that mass happens like a lot of discussion and you know things about this so i read some interviews and like some stuff published by various native american groups from this Mm -hmm. part of the country to see like what the general vibe was yeah um and so like disclaimer i'm not native american i'm mm-hmm. not mohawk i'm not even from this part of the country so like yeah. if you are interested in this kind of like social discussion definitely go read the you know sources. a lot of the like formal um tribes have yeah um you know official statements and things yeah about when this happened well, especially we will the mohawk link, and yeah we'll link yeah. to these uh sources in the they'll be in the uh description of this episode so if you yes. want you can yes. just and there are like various like like NPR did a series of like interviews yeah. with indigenous leaders and things, but like specifically yeah. about this um, yeah. around 2012. So if you're just in okay. that kind of thing, it's out there. You can find it. Yeah. Um, but so I like looked through it all and like tried to get like the general vibe of what people right. are thinking. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> so yes. it seems like the people, indigenous peoples, are sort of divided into three main groups okay. of opinion. Okay. So first group are just like super proud of her, support right. her, think this is great and religious and they you know they're christian an and they're like this is yeah. an, it's an honor it's great it's it's like it's when uh, it's like when elizabeth ann seaton was canonized and like non-catholic government you're just like jazz like because you're like it's hey, an american this is our person. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh yeah okay. so there are these people so there are those people who are like proud of her and supportive specifically okay. from a religious point of view of like okay. i am christian and she is like me and i am proud this christian yeah. person like me has achieved this thing which is okay. like fine and great, right? Yes. Yeah. Great. Um, people who see her as like a really great cultural bridge between Christianity and indigenous Americans. And it's, you know, okay. it's great. Good. Solid. Okay. Then there's a second group who see her who are not, they don't really care about the religious aspect. Like they okay. don't care about Christianity. They're not Christian. They're not jazzed about it. But yeah. they think that her story of like personal fortitude and uh-huh. personal strength of separating herself from her culture and like doing this thing on her own and paving uh-huh. this pathway was brave and good, even okay. if they don't specifically agree with the religion. You okay. know? Okay. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah. She's still so like, like a, a she had a she was an individual person with a a strong yeah. belief and she did it regardless of, you know, whether or not you personally else. agree yeah. with the religion. Yeah. Right. Like she was standing up for herself and doing what she right. thought was right, which is good in and of itself, even if you well, it, it's usually good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And then there's the third group, which I think is probably the one that's most complicated. Yeah. Of like, we're not really proud of her at all. And we see her as like a colonial 
like kind of a puppet pawn yeah yeah or like she's a propaganda machine she abandoned traditional practices and everyone's glorifying her for right uh what is that word europeanizing there's a word for that like making herself like the year no that's Eh. just england there must be one for europe but like giving up her traditional practices like ditching it and being like screw you guys i'm gonna go be with the europeans and don't care what happens to you yeah um and so some people see her as like it kind of ranges from being like this person was brainwashed and right this is an embarrassment it's not something to be proud of all the way to she was actively like yeah she had her own agency and was doing something wrong yeah yeah you know, it's like right. ranges from she was yeah. a pawn who had no control to she was doing this yeah. on purpose but either yeah. way it's like she's a representation of colonial power yeah. it's like glorifying like, oh, yeah. the the colonizers the colonizing and the transition away from native yeah uh beliefs and you know yeah so like stuff. there's definitely like a very wide range of opinion on her among modern native americans um, so if you're interested in that kind of thing, I strongly recommend yeah. that you go read the interviews and the, the official comments by the various right. groups. People. Um, but I think it's important to note that she is like a very complicated, this is like the reason we never do the right. ones who are colonial. We rarely yeah. do the colonial ones because a lot of them are just like, mm, yeah. I don't know about this. It's very questionable. It's like they can say whatever they want to say about what they think they're doing, but what are they actually doing? Mm-hmm. And like, and did yeah. she do this because she genuinely felt a spiritual call or is she right. doing it because she was lonely, because she's an orphan? Yeah. Is she doing it, you know, was because she gay and that's why she didn't want to get married and this was yeah. just like a way out of it? Right. You know, it's like really hard to distinguish, especially because like it was such a long time ago. Right. And she was a woman, so people didn't care too much about what yeah. she thought. And yeah. the colonial powers were the ones who were writing everything down right. and deciding what the narrative would be. So it's just like very complicated. Yes. It's yes. very odd. So I hope that if she was doing this because she genuinely felt something. Yeah. I hope that she, like, I hope it all worked out for her. I hope she's right. having a great time in heaven. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I also think it's kind of bold. Not to, like, okay, I'm gonna, this is not to be, like, on the side of the colonizers. Definitely not on the side of the colonizers. Like, that's bad. But I think it's bold to say that you know for sure that she, her thought process behind converting was entirely, like, basically, what's the word? Like, negates or is, like, doesn't overlap with her beliefs as a Native person. Mm, Yeah. Like, it's bold to say that she completely dropped everything she grew up with and switched Mm -hmm. to european catholicism Mm -hmm. thought processes because that is unlikely like (laughs) like let's be real like people who convert like even modern people who convert they're not abandoning everything else they've ever believed they're not like that's just not how that works so it's very unlikely that when she converted she was like i don't believe in anything i grew up Mm -hmm. believing it's way more likely that and this is what the colonizers like we kind of mentioned before we're supposed to be doing that the missionaries were supposed to be doing was you know relating to their finding parallels culture finding parallels yeah. and so it's much more likely that that is what she was doing in her mind mm-hmm. was that this is not different from what she already believed it's like an extension of what she already believed it's a new mm-hmm. way to express what she already believed mm-hmm. so i think it is bold to say that like 
by converting, she abandoned and didn't care about her. People yeah. didn't care about her, how she grew up and things like that. So I think that's a little aggressive, but I'm also not native. So I don't really have yeah. a position to say that. But personally, from like a belief, religious belief perspective, uh, like people are flexible. Like you can have, mm-hmm. like I would identify as, like I wouldn't necessarily identify as like a practicing Catholic now, but I would identify as spiritual with a Catholic bent, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like I perceive the world kind of from from the, with the lens of Catholic stories, but I also don't like eliminate my belief in like science and evolution and things like that because of yeah. it. Like those two can coexist. And I think that's similar for anybody who converts. It's like you can yeah. take what you need from that religion and yeah, still I maintain think other yeah. beliefs. I think that's one of those things where like it works in like both from both ends. Like yeah. She probably like you can't from nowadays, like nowadays you cannot look back at this person who we have no writings from, right. we have no yep. like formal biography, like oral biography. You have no real insight into what she thought. Yeah. You only have what other people around her thought. So without any of that you can't look at her and say she was definitely completely holy Malicious. and oh, yeah. no, completely complete on either side. You can't right. say that she yeah. was completely wholeheartedly into this and really right. a holy, you know, personally Individual. spiritual yeah. person. But you also can't say that she, you know, Malicious, did this yeah. to ditch anything. Right. It's like she was almost certainly something in the middle. Yeah. You know. Like every person. So either side trying. I think the people who are kind of in the middle who are like, I recognize her like personal strength right. and individuality and like the how difficult this must have been. Right. Regardless of why it's, she did it, it must have been hard. And like that should deserves recognition. Than, yeah. Like I think something closer to that middle range yeah. is probably the most accurate until somebody has some real proof of what she thought right. or why she did things. Yeah. You can't really go on either other side. Yeah, it makes more sense to see her as just like an individual person, mm-hmm. which already is so rare from that time period anyway, to have records of an individual person. Mm-hmm. Um like that's good and interesting i think in its own respect of like not necessarily that she was converted not necessarily that she's now a catholic saint like that's kind of why we're doing these stories is that because they are stories of people Mm -hmm. and how do these people become recorded because you have especially these really old ones i mean wherever they are in the world africa europe Mm -hmm. you know the americas you don't have records of individual people. And mm-hmm. then this is how one person gets written down for hundreds of years, which is, mm-hmm. I think, a an accomplishment regardless of all the religious stuff. Yeah. Like, they could have been doing something, they could have been doing some something completely different. Like, could have been like a government mm-hmm. leader or something like that, and they would have been written down, and that would also be interesting. It's just, we're choosing to come at this from the, the saints specifically. Mm-hmm. I would really so. like to know, like, if I am ever in heaven one day, I would like to know... <laughs> why this girl yeah you know like it doesn't seem like in her life she did anything right. particularly of note right. or like particularly different than what anyone else was doing yeah. so i don't fully understand why this one like why is marie therese not a saint like what yeah. you know i wonder that's where i wonder if there's like things in like maybe she was having visions and she didn't know how to explain it when she was a child because she wasn't yeah. Like, I wonder if there's a lot more that we get for, like, some of the more recent people or the European people who are writing things down more 
I think that wonder if there's more like lifelong experiences that we just don't know about. Yeah, I wonder if like her family and friends knew things about her and we're like, oh, yeah, that's weird. weird. Yeah. And so we're going to remember, but then by now everyone's forgotten right. why we were remembering her. We're just like, yeah. we remember her for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> we're just going to keep like, doing it. Right. It's like, I bet there's, I mean, a lot of the saints are like this. Like, I bet there's a lot more that we just don't have a record of anymore. Yeah. I suppose, like, it's possible that her, like, her intentionally virginity thing, maybe that's unusual. Because, like, her old, the sister, the cousin slash sister, yeah. who had gone to the mission years before married. her, she got yeah. married. Right. So I'm wondering if maybe just the virginity anti-marriage part is enough to make her stand out from all the other maybe. ladies at this church yeah. who are doing kind of similar stuff. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I think it would be yeah. interesting to know. So, yeah. I also wonder if it's kind of like one of those things of... Uh, like the ambassador to like these peoples, you know, because mm-hmm. I think, did I cover one early on from South America, like a South America? Yeah, I think, I don't know if he was a layperson or a priest, but he was partially indigenous, like Central American, you know? Oh, the Maybe one who, the one from the Canary Islands? No, not him. I thought there was another one. Maybe I didn't cover it. Maybe I just know this from somewhere else, but there's like a I think I've told you about it. <laughs> I think I've mentioned it where he like was seeing Mary and he went to a hill and she said, come back tomorrow. It was winter. Come back tomorrow. He came oh, back. Oh, we talked about like, this when we were talking yeah. about Mary of Agreda. Yeah. And the a hill, a hill, yeah. Yeah. A hill full of flowers and stuff. And he, I think he might, I don't remember if that guy is just a Beati now or if he's now a saint, he might just be a Beati, but he is seen as like the kind of like this where, he's you know a religious figure for between like catholicism and the native central Mm -hmm. americans rather than you know north americans but so i wonder if it's like one of those things or it's like you're gonna be the ambassador why maybe just pick some i mean she only lived to be in her early 20s yeah she's like not that long she doesn't seem like she you know she didn't meet anyone important really she wasn't involved in anything really like any really notable events right like, they're notable for the Mohawk. Yeah. But, like, this was kind of happening to everyone all the time at this That's period. Point. You know, like, smallpox and various yeah. battles and stuff. Yeah, so, that is interesting. I, I bet that there's, I bet that there would be more that we just don't have no yeah, way we're just never going to know. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, it's interesting because there's a lot of descriptions that I didn't include because they're not that interesting and kind of all right. the same. Of, like, the way various missionaries described her. Right. It's just like a various, like, there's one from when she's like eight, and there's one from when she's 14, and when right. she's 17. And they're all kind of just like, I don't know, she seems like a nice, she wants smart, to convert. reasonable kid. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Like, this, she's not like, they're not like, oh my God. Yeah, <laughs> and they're not writing so down. Yeah, they're not writing down that, like, she's seeing visions or anything like that. No, they're so just like, she seems, they're just like, yeah, she yeah. seems like a nice kid. I don't know. She does her yeah. chores. She's friendly. She seems fine. <laughs> Yeah. She's, oh yeah. I would like to know why this person. Right. I mean, I guess it could just be that she didn't do anything. There was nothing notable particularly right. about her life. And it's just that when she died, this weird shit started happening. Yeah. And people were like, oh, okay. Yeah. And I wonder, like, I think, because these stories are difficult because it's like, well, you don't really know how to feel. Like, I feel like these people deserve to be honored, but it's also like, yeah, like from the perspective of colonizing, like how. Yeah, it's like a hard, you 
it's hard to merge the like you want to recognize the achievements of the individual right but not diminish the struggle of the group of the problems with this yeah yeah so i i think it's like like from our perspective like we can have opinion on it from like the catholic perspective of like like yes i think that this person should be recognized on the catholic side you know Mm -hmm. um and then the, we can choose to teach that person as like, you know, also with the struggles and the problems with this. Right. Mm-hmm. But I think it's like also good for us to remember that it's like not our place to have the opinion on the Native American side, you know, mm-hmm. and but we should seek to keep that the the freedom of having the opinion on the Native American side up to them. Like mm-hmm. we don't get to say that like this was good or bad for them. Um, yeah. We can only say this is good or bad from the Catholic side Um, and keeping it open to anybody who is native or native descendant that they get to make their own opinion about it Mm -hmm. based on their background and their perception of it. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, it's kind of up to the individual at that point in the same way that any religious belief is up to the individual at that point. Yeah. But yeah, this is like I've been looking at her. Like for months and months, like I just because right. every time, like I'm like we need I've to do somebody from the Americas because we yeah. trying to keep it like diverse, you know. Right. And so I'm like, oh, like go look at the list of American saints, and I'm like, oh, that would be interesting because I bet there's all kinds of interesting historical cultural stuff if she's a Native right. American from like the earlier period. Yeah. You know, not from 1890 or whatever. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I bet that'd be interesting. And then I'm like, oh, but I bet there's like bet really gross missionary yeah. crap, and like I bet it will make you feel weird. Yeah. But I was like, no, we should do it. Like it's important. It matters. Right. We should do yeah. it. And if anyone's interested, definitely, like, go seek out the indigenous opinions on her uh-huh. and, like, what people are thinking. Because, yeah. you know, 2012 was 10 years ago. It might have changed significantly since they had yeah. all that, like, major discussion about it. Right. <sighs> Gosh. Yeah. 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 Very, very interesting, complex histories. Yeah. Buried in here. That's what happens when a religion's been around for that long. Mm-hmm. Things makes, get squibbly. Yeah. <laughs> squibbly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so, yeah, we will put pictures of various things that we have talked about in this uh-huh. and some links and whatever on the uh, Instagram, which is Martyr and Monk. Yes. Uh, the We'll also put the links in the show notes for, like, the yep. interviews and things. Um, and we will be back in a couple of weeks with another saint. Thanks, guys. <laughs>